0: Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. Uh, We welcome you, and we are glad that you're joining us This morning, and you know, I'm actually particularly glad that you're joining us um, through this live stream. Because if you're like me, it's uh, it's pretty discouraging actually to be meeting like this after um, sort of the whole year of kind of meeting like this, and then meeting as we have been in a parking area. And I say parking area because parking lot sounds too undignified for what we are doing parking area and then to just sort of be sidelined by the rain has was been super discouraging. In fact, this morning I was hoping the rain would dissipate so that we could still gather. But as discouraged as I am about this, I'm encouraged to uh, sort of give you guys an update on our building search. As many of you know, as we've been sort of walking with you guys over the past few months, uh, we have been uh, searching and, uh, and, and turning stones to find a place for us to gather, a suitable place for us to gather. And, um, and we, we are happy to announce that we are very close to, uh, to officializing a contract with a building that's on campus. It's called the 4-H building. It's right next to the Schottenstein Center at the corner, really at the intersection of Lane Avenue and 315. If you've ever been to, the, uh, Arbor, uh, if you've ever been to the Arboretum or um, if you've ever been fishing at that pond in the forage area, you know the building we're talking about. And so we are just so excited about this. Um, as I said, we're just letting you in on the process. I wish I could say uh, signatures are on the page, but it's pretty much everything except that. And so we are confident that God is opening a door for us in this building. Uh, it's been our pursuit for quite a while now, and we see this as an answer to prayer. We see this as an answer of a long line of prayers, actually. As we've been saying over the over the past few months and casting vision for our church in ten years' time, one of the key elements of our of our church vision is that we're not just a church near campus, but that we are a church for campus. And so this places us right on campus. This is a building that is spacious. It's a building that is beautiful. This is a building that has plenty of room for us as a church to grow. Uh, This is a building that aligns with our vision. This is a building that we can call our home after such a long season of wilderness wandering. So in some respects, I'm super discouraged that we're on uh, uh, live stream and that you have to look at our living room one more time. But in another sense, uh, it's fitting. It's fitting that we're sharing this now and then we're sharing it in this avenue because uh, we are excited uh, for what God has next for us. So I would just encourage you to pray. Pray that um, the final steps would indeed happen without a hitch, without a hiccup, that we indeed could uh, have this official. And our aim, and by all accounts, we will be able to do this as early as the first Sunday of August. So we just have to endure a few more Sundays in the heat outside um, but until then, as we're doing today, we're going to be gathering in, in all the ways that we know how. We'll be having a picnic today. Um, and we're just uh, there's plenty of outside area in this location as well that we can use for things like that as well. So we are super encouraged. I hope you are too. just pray, uh, pray for this and pray for our church with Thanksgiving and, and all the rest. So um, so that's good news. And we'll share more as details uh, come about here in the coming days and weeks. Uh, at this time, though, I want to encourage you to open your Bibles along with me uh, to the Book of Psalms. In particular, the book of, in the Book of Psalms, we'll look at Psalm 100 this morning. Psalm 100. So we are continuing our series on uh, the Book of Psalms. Each summer we like to do this. Um, And we are focusing on what are called the Psalms of praise. The Psalms of praise. So like in one sense, as we've said, all 150 of the Psalms in the book of Psalms are praise. The Hebrew title for the Psalms is Tehillim, which means songs of praise. This is a word that actually comes up in Psalm 100. And this idea that all 150 Psalms are, Our songs of praise is a gift to God's people. That truth alone can preach. Because what it means is that every human emotion can be brought to God as praise. When we bring to God our confusion, when we bring to God our pain, it is, according to God, praise. But in another sense, there's a handful of psalms within the Psalter uh, that specifically invite praise. And folks have called these the Psalms of Praise, because they really have two parts. Number one, invitation, and number two, explanation. The invitation is the same, praise God. The explanation differs. Here's why you can, here's why you should praise God. Our psalm this morning, Psalm 100, is often used for gathered worship. And we often use it actually as a church for the call to worship. And for good reason, because in it, God is calling us to worship him. My boys go to a summer camp each year um, and they go to their cabins, I've been told, exhausted each night. But every morning they are woken up with a sharp bugle call. I think there's an actual person with a bugle (laughs) that plays a bugle call, and I love this detail because a bugle call is not just a mere alarm clock it doesn 't just fulfill the function of waking you up. A bugle call, at least at this camp, is a bold invitation to great things. It alerts you, it gets your blood pumping it 's a summons, it gets the body moving, the heart moving. It reminds you actually when you hear it, why you are here. You know, as my boys wake up, they might think I'm in bed at home. I have school to go to. I have this to do. But the bugle call reminds them why they are there. And that's how this psalm works. It's a bugle call. It's a summons, not not just to, to worship, but it's a summons to the abundant life in worship. God is rousing you. He's reminding you of your deepest purpose in life, why you're here, what you're made for. It is a rousing Awakening for you and for me. So let me just read this short psalm and then you can follow along. This is God's Word. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and the courts with praise give thanks to him bless his name for the lord is good his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations so lord with the words of my mouth and with the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you you are our rock and you are our redeemer and we pray this in jesus name amen Well, every summer, my family vacations in northern Michigan, as many of you know, and my in-laws have a small cottage up there that overlooks a small freshwater lake. And when I say overlook, I mean overlook. The backyard is basically a lake. It's basically a walk up to a lake. Now, it used to be back in the day that you had to walk outside of the cottage in order to see the lake because you were walled in. When you were sitting in the living room, you were walled in. You were looking at walls. But a number of years ago... Uh, They demoed the wall facing the lake and installed these big screen doors. So now, today, if you're sitting on the couch in the living room, all you have to do is look through the screens to see beauty, to see fresh lake, to see a hammock, to see a boat, to see playing kids if they're out there, to see a sunrise in the morning, to see a sunset at night. And it is an invitation. These screens are an invitation uh, to to beauty. It's an invitation to participate, actually, in the beauty. It's an invitation. All you have to do is walk through the screen doors. But every day that I'm up there, there's another screen that competes with this screen. And that is my phone screen. (laughs) This screen looks... Uh, into my email this screen looks into my newsfeed. this this screen looks into the internet and it too is an invitation but unlike the screen door screen number one this is for me at least an invitation to distraction an invitation to isolation and so every summer there is a battle between two screens in my life one invites me away into a land of distraction in isolation, And the other invites me into life, to go outside, to enjoy my family, to enjoy God's creation. Too often, I choose the first screen. And so what I need in those moments is for somebody who loves me to urge me to put the screen down, screen B, and to walk through screen A. I need a bugle call. I need a smelling salt. Anything to wake me up and get me moving towards better things. And this is true for me in so many areas of my life, not just vacation. (laughs) I need a nudge uh, to just show up and serve, to serve my kids, to serve my neighbor, just to show up and serve my church. I need a nudge to go on a bike ride sometimes with my kids. It takes time and effort to pump the tires up, to get the helmets ready. Uh, It takes Effort, And I need a nudge to go sometimes to a party or to a gathering, an important gathering sometimes. I never, ever, ever regret doing these things. But it's sometimes a struggle getting there. And I don't think I'm alone in this. It seems that we're, we all need urge to do the life-giving things, even the things we love the most. We never regret showing up for things like hospitality. We never regret showing up for things like volunteering. We never regret reading a book. We never regret making food. But we struggle to do all of those things. We struggle to get there. Left to ourselves, we never get up. I mean, how many of us have experienced this with exercise? We struggle to put our running shoes on, but I don't think anybody's ever regretted running when they're finished. Maybe some of you. Uh, if you're injured, maybe. But this is the thing. We are all we are all sluggish to pursue the best in life. There's a word for this, inertia. We all learned about inertia in physics class. Inertia means that an object will not move unless there's some kind of external force. It's the tendency, in other words, for things to stay put. And while that's true with objects, I also think it's true of the human condition. There is a tendency to stay put. It seems that all the good things in life require a loving push, an external force, especially when it comes to God. The Bible describes sin in a way as spiritual inertia, left to ourselves we will not move towards God and the abundant life that He offers. C.S. Lewis famously wrote, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday holiday at the sea. We are too easily pleased. We are too easily pleased. And so what we need is an urge. We need some a voice to urge us to experience the life that He offers. We need a holy push, a holy shove into His presence. And that's exactly what this psalm, this psalm is designed to do. This psalm is like a, a loving, holy push into worship. I mean, just look at verse 1 again, verse 2 and verse 4. It says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Verse 4, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. This is an urging, this is, a, a, this is a, a, a push. Eugene Peterson paraphrases this psalm this way On your feet now! Applaud God! One commentator writes, the psalmist has done everything within the capacity of art to rivet attention beyond all else upon the name of God. Basically, this psalm is a bugle call. It is, God is saying, Wake up! Get yourself in my presence. Get yourself happy in me. Come to me. Bring all of who you are, all, all of who you are, to me. That is what you are made for. This psalm urges us to come into His presence. It's like your mom or dad saying, wake up, let's get to church. It's a summons when we are inert and we are staying put. And it's a summons in two very, very profound ways. This and psalm, this psalm urges us to come to God with all of our body and with all of our emotions. I want to talk about both this morning first with our body. Notice how this psalm invites us to do three things at the start in verses 1 and 2. To shout I mean our translation says make a joyful noise. I love the NIV's translation which says which says basically shout to the Lord. Shout to the Lord. We shout to the Lord and then we serve and then we sing. These are invitations. To bring all of who we are into God's presence. Our faith is not so super spiritual that we simply think things before God's presence. No, God urges your body into His courts. We do with our service. First with our service. Notice beginning verse 2. It says, Serve the Lord with gladness. So worship is a service. That's why we call worships often a worship service. If you've ever wondered why this is a, sometimes called a worship service. It's because this psalm, we come into God's presence and then we serve Him with all of our life. Except, according to this psalm, we do so not grudgingly, but what? With gladness. One theologian calls this a strange servitude. Why? Why is it a strange servitude? It's strange because in every other instance, servitude is a bad thing. In every other instance, servitude is begrudging servitude. In every other instance, servitude. If you're serving something or someone, you you're being demeaned. If you're serving something or someone, you're, you, there's a sense in which you you are uh, not happy. You're not full of gladness. But here we see a strange servitude. Why? Well, this theologian says because this servitude is offered with joy. See, the Bible's clear. We have to serve somebody. We have to apply ourselves in service. To somebody or something. is how we are made. And only with our creator, the true God, is our service perfect freedom. See, form and function go together always. Form and freedom. When we are not aligned with our proper form, we are not truly free. But when we are aligned with our proper form, just like a fish in water... You know, just like a well-made instrument. When the form is correct, there is freedom there. Just like learning scales on a piano. When the form is there, there is freedom. There is perfect freedom within the form. Every other false god that we serve will lead to slavery, the scripture says. Scripture says when we worship idols, we become like them. Meaning, we become more and more dehumanized. More and more lifeless as we apply ourselves and serve things that are themselves lifeless. Bondage and misery is our due when we worship idols. But because we're made for God, our hearts are most free and most glad, according to this verse, when we are serving Him. And so Romans 12:1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, according to the grace of God, what? To present your bodies as what? A living sacrifice. There's a paradox. So you're laying your life down in total sacrifice, but as you do that, you are actually becoming more alive. See, it's the mercy of God that enables us to lay down our lives in a living sacrifice. The mercy of God is to free us up, to push us into His presence, into His joy, because only with God's service is perfect freedom. And so come to Him with your service Come to Him also with your singing. Your singing. Uh, Notice again in verse 1 it says, come with a shout. The NIV translation in verse 1 says, shout for joy to the Lord. This is actually a technical shout. It's a shout of acclamation. So in those days, it's what people did when royalty showed up. When royalty showed up, you shouted, you went, hey! or something, (laughs) but you shouted. um, It's it's basically what we do in our day when you're sort of standing at a live concert and they're playing the walk-in music and the lights are on. And then what happens when the lights go down and the music starts to fade? The walk-in music starts to fade. What happens? What happens is you start to shout or what happens if you're standing at Ohio Ohio Stadium and you're sort of of watching all the warm-up and everything and then the teams go into the locker room and what happens when the band's starts playing, and the first person starts running through the tunnel, what do we do? We shout! That's a shout of acclamation. That is a shout of, of acclamation. Derek Kidner writes, these words of the Hebrews repeatedly convey the thrill of liberation. You see the king, the good king, and you shout. That is a bodily invitation in worship. And then verse 1 says to come into His presence, uh, verse 2 actually says to come into His presence with singing. Come into His presence with singing. Eugene Peterson uh, paraphrases this verse, sing yourselves into God's presence. In other words, there is something fundamental about praising God with our voices. We shout, we sing. The reformer Martin Luther famously said, quote, next after theology, I give to music the highest place and the greatest honor. I learned recently that one of the marks of the Reformation was actually restoring congregational singing before the clergy uh, would just sing while the congregation would just sit there in silence. Uh, But now we take it for granted that we come and we gather and we sing together. In fact, just today, I was uh, as, as John was leading us and singing, I started to sing uh, the lyrics, the songs, and things that I knew in my head, I started to actually feel and believe. And that is a good thing. God made me to sing truths about him. <laughs> he designed me to sing. And here he tells me to come into his presence singing. John Powell. Um, I just learned about John Powell. He's, he's a physicist. He's also a musician. He studies music. He talks about... The effect that music has on our bodies. I'll quote him. He says, Our bodies effectively contain an internal pharmacy. I love that image an internal pharmacy that dispenses various chemicals to help us deal with life's challenges. Research has revealed that music holds the keys to your body's pharmacy. Isn't that interesting? And can promote or suppress the release of these chemicals. That's just, a scientific thing. That's just a scientific way of describing the power of music. God designed our bodies to respond to singing. And when we come into his presence, we should expect him, I think many of us do expect him, to demand silence. And sometimes the Psalms say, come to me in silence. But he here says, come to me with singing. Come into my presence. The most profound, intimate encounter with God involves here, Singing. Recently, I was talking with someone about sort of how difficult this year has been, not just on a macro scale, but even on a micro scale. And I noticed, and I was sharing about how I noticed I haven't really been singing this past year. And they offered to me wise counsel. They suggested I pick, well, I actually suggested a few unique worship songs. And they're just like, listen to this. And maybe sing along. And I remember driving in the car and I remember putting a worship song on and this might have been even before that council and I remember something happened. As I sang, as I sang, it unlocked a reservoir of all kinds of things. It unlocked a reservoir of joy. It unlocked a reservoir of grief, worship that I didn't know I had. See, God designed me to come into his presence with singing. And so let me just encourage you to do the same. Sing yourself into God's presence. I'm so looking forward to gathering with you next Sunday. I'm so looking forward to gathering with you in our building so that I can hear your voices. Paul tells the Ephesians to sing songs, not just to God, that's sort of implied, but he actually says, to one another. He says in in chapter 5, verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. What does that look like? Verse 19, speaking to one another. One another. There's a horizontal singing going on here. With what? With psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. So there is a vertical dimension of our singing as well as a horizontal dimension of our singing. And so we need to sing ourselves into His presence. And we need each other to sing ourselves. To sing with us in His presence. Let me encourage you to start your day singing. If you have a commute, sing worship songs in your car. Learn a new melody, maybe. Or learn a worship song. You don't need to have earbuds this way. You can just hum it while at work. Or even sing it internally and quietly while you're at work. And I think this this uh, summons to bring your whole body into his presence like this with shouting with singing is is a summons to uh, a warning maybe to not be more spiritual than god is that's somebody else's phrase but god made our bodies and so singing him and and shouting to him and serving him with gladness in his presence is, is a good thing we don't just sit and think thoughts about god we shout we sing in fact zephaniah 317 says that god Sings over us. So we must not be more spiritual than God. We have to sing. When we come into His presence, we are simply joining in to God's song. He beat you to it. So come with your bodies. But then also come with your heart, or your emotions. Sometimes the Psalms tell us to bring our tears into His presence. So if you just were to look at Psalm 56, verse 8, you would see that. Psalm 56, verse 8 reads, You have kept count of my tossings and put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? And so that psalm invites our tears One author points out that the Psalms also invite our silence. So if you were to look just for one example, you could look at Psalm 62, verse 1. Psalm 62, verse 1 says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. Here, This psalm summons us to come into his presence with joy. But this isn't just some shallow, circumstantial joy. It is a a unique joy. It is a joy that is unique to God's people. And I want to say it's two things. It's God-centered and it's gospel-generated. It's God-centered because it's centered on who God is. If you look again at our psalm and you look at verse 3, the anchoring to this joy is explicit. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. I've said before, that is all you need to know in life. That small verse is all you need to know in life to be okay. That's it. Know the Lord, He is God, and know that you are His. You are His. We are the sheep of His pasture. We are in His care. That's all you need to know in life to be okay. Which means our joy that we bring into His presence is not joy in anything else except that. This is actually the beating heart of this psalm. God is God, and we are not, but we are His. And that is our deepest joy. And then it's a gospel-generated joy In verses 3 through 5, we see good news. That's what gospel means. Gospel means good news. And so, verse 3, as I just read, is the good news that we are not our own, but we belong to the Lord. It is so exhausting to belong to ourselves. Self sufficiency, self discovery, self expression, self ownership is exhausting. (laughs) And it gets us nowhere. It generates, if anything, it generates pride on the one hand, or despair, depending on the day. But there is rest when we simply see that we are the Lord's and He is a good shepherd to us. We do not belong to ourselves, but we belong to the Lord. And then verse 4 and 5 is the good news that we are children of the King. This is Language describing the throne room of God, where the king of the universe dwells. He says, though, enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Why? For the Lord is good, and his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Pastor Tim Keller writes, the only person who dares wake up a king, a king, at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. And when I read verses 3-4, through that's what this is all about. The amazing access that God's people have to God. Remember, this is God's house we're talking about. Uh, There are other passages in the Bible that warn us about just barging into God's house. But instead, we are here treated like His children. We are invited to run around and explore in His house. To come with thanksgiving, to come with praise, to come with laughter and joy. In fact, verse 5 says that we have God's steadfast love and goodness. So it's been pointed out that these two words show up in another psalm, Psalm 23, which many of you may be familiar with. And so let's just turn there for a moment. Psalm 23, verse 6. says this about these two words, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And in our psalm, we see the goodness of God, and we see the mercy, same word, the the mercy of God. For he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. And I think when you put these things together, Derek Kidner writes, It suggests a steady kindness and a support that one can count on in the family or between firm friends. And he goes on with God. These qualities are not merely solid and dependable, but vigorous. For to follow here in Psalm 23 does not mean to bring up the rear, but to pursue. As surely as his judgments pursue the wicked. And so what we have here is when we stand in grace, when we stand in His in His covenant grace, what we have here is we have His steadfast love, which is forever, and we have His goodness, not just before us, but behind us, and not just following the rear, but chasing us, pursuing us. These We see this ultimately in the person of Jesus, don't we? Who not, not only knew Psalm 100 and Psalm 23, but who sang, and not only sang the psalm, but actually lived it, fulfilled it, fleshed it, embodied it. This psalm really points to Jesus, because He is the shepherd. He's the one that you are united to. When you say, I belong to God, there's a sense in which that is true, fundamentally true, because you are, scriptures say, united to Jesus, the true shepherd, who pursued you as shepherd, even to His death. The shepherd became the sheep in that sense so that you would have access into his house so that you would have adoption so that you would be counted a brother in his house that you would be counted a son and a daughter of God the Father, so that you would would have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, so that you would indeed belong to God, and that nothing else could change that status forever, not anything past, not anything present, not anything future. That is the grace of God. That is the mercy of God. That is Him chasing you. And when you stray out of God's house What is the promise here? The promise here is that his steadfast love endures forever and will chase you back home. And if you're out there right now and you feel like you've strayed from God's house and you want joy again, he is not just waiting for you. He's chasing you back home. He wants you. He is giving you a holy shove, maybe today, maybe this morning, to enter again With joy and thanksgiving into His presence. To come and to sing yourself back to His presence. This is the mercy of God. He wants you to have full joy. I mean, if sin can be described as spiritual inertia, then the salvation of Jesus can be described as a holy push into His presence. And into joy. Because joy can only come in Him. He pushes all of you into His presence. He brings all of you into the truest form of joy. Now this past week, my youngest son, I think, was missing out on some of the fun in the lake. Because he was afraid to get into the water. But he has no fear of water. We know this because we've been at the pool all all summer. But after trying to talk him into it, what I did is I gently placed him into the water. It was a loving nudge. And there was resistance from him. But then deep joy. God doesn't want you to just dip your toe into his presence. He brings all of you. He he nudges all of you into the lake. And we are invited and summoned this morning to bring all of who you are into his presence. And so we'll have an opportunity actually to sing on the other side of this sermon. And we have an opportunity to sing. And as you sing, I want you to consider this psalm as not a barrier, sort of a barrier to, to get over. I need to have joy. I need to have gladness in order to sing this correctly. Instead, see it as a summon. See it as a bugle call to bring a shout, to bring a song into his presence. What will this mean, this psalm, for us as a church? Well, I think, number one, I think it means this, that we will be a church that believes our gathered worship, our time of worship is, there's more going on than just showing up. But that there is a battle, a battle for our affections. We're saying to the world when we sing, according to this psalm, that God alone is our deepest joy. Walter Brueggemann says... To praise is to reject alternative loyalties and false definitions of reality. Isn't that a great statement? To praise God is to reject alternative loyalties and false definitions of reality. Praise is relentlessly polemical. He says. You know, the psalm says, Yahweh, he is God. That is, that is a cry of allegiance. And so when we come here, we are engaging in a battle. Who is worthy of our affections? Who is worthy or what is worthy of our of our loyalty, of our joy? And we're saying, only God. It's a battle. We believe worship is and ought to be emotional. Emotions matter. So Peace Casero, he says, quote, ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality, and reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives heart, that gives the heart a voice. We've all read and heard warnings about not following emotions. I think we're okay with that. I think we're good on that. I think we're good on that, especially in our tradition, which so emphasizes thinking and the mind and correct thoughts. I think we're okay there. What we need to emphasize here at Hope is that worship is also emotional. We bring our hearts to Him. We want our worship to be intellectually rigorous, but we must bring our emotions to the house of God. This psalm demands it. And that's what praise does. And then finally we believe worship is life-giving. We are most alive when we're serving God. Serving idols makes us less human. How we were made is to be singing and praising God. And so the most loving thing God does for us is to invite us to worship Him. And Jesus lived and died and was raised so that our deepest joy would be in the and so we, we are going to lean into this vision of Psalm 100 as a worshiping community. It's an antidote to spiritual inertia. We will take for granted that all of us, including me, will, left to ourselves, stay put. Which is why we need the call to worship. We need Psalm 100, which says, Get up, get on your feet, shout, sing, serve. It's the gospel bugle <laughs> calling us to his presence. It's the alarm that we need the posture of praise is the posture of life. And so, God, we do ask that you would awaken us. Allow this song and, to other, and other songs and songs, spiritual songs, to be that smelling salt in our life. To summon us into your presence, Lord. So we do that now. We do that now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Thanks for tuning in for more information about our church and for more resources like this visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org